Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. So today, I, I want to—we love sports, don't we? We're we're a sports culture in a lot of ways. This is a sports community, and uh, we we've got a lot of a uh, lot of different um, sports and teams that we follow. I know the Ole Miss folks are excited today. They played a great game in Hattiesburg. The Southern Miss folks are not too happy today, and us state folks hadn't been happy for a long time. But uh, you know, uh, but you know, sports is just—it's just a big—it's just a big part of our lives. So, uh, whether you're a baseball fan or football or basketball or, or if your grandkids play soccer, then you've got to try to figure out soccer and things like that. But I want to ask this question. When, when does sports as entertainment become sports as idolatry? Oh, John, you're going to meddling today. So when does sports as entertainment become sports as idolatry? I've been a Green Bay Packers fan for a long time. Uh, no, no reason other than the fact when I was about six years old, I just liked the fact that they were called the Packers. I didn't realize they was talking about cheese packing. I thought it was like Packers, you know. But, I, but so since then, you know, Bart Starr was the quarterback a long time ago, and so I've kind of followed the Packers my whole life. So I've been kind of a, a Packers fan my whole life. And, and, and uh but back in 1996, that was the year that they, uh, they won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl down in New Orleans. Brett Favre was the quarterback, and Brett Favre was the MVP of the Super Bowl that year, 1996. There was a banner that was put up at Lambeau Field. One of, on my bucket list is to go watch a Packers game at Lambeau Field one day in the dead of winter with snow everywhere. I'd love to, I'd love to go do that. But there was a banner that was put up in 1996 when they won the Super Bowl. And this is what the banner said. It says this, Our Favre, who art in Lambeau, hallowed be thy arm. The bowl will come. It will be won in New Orleans as it is in Lambeau. Give us this Sunday our weekly win and give us many touchdown passes. But do not let others pass against us. Lead us not into frustration, but deliver us to Bourbon Street. For thine is the MVP, the best of the NFL, and the glory of the cheeseheads now and forever. Go get them. I wonder if that's a little sign of idolatry right there. So we're going to talk about idolatry today. Grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Exodus chapter 20, and we'll look at verses 4 through 6. Uh, we started a sermon series last week. Uh, on the Ten Commandments, called the sermon series is called Laying Down the Law. And so we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments over the course of the month of June and July, right up until the end of the summer. We'll be uh, in the Ten Commandments throughout the summer. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6 is where we're going to focus our attention today on commandment number 2. Would you stand please as we read this one together? <clears throat> Verse 4 says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. 
Father, help us today, Lord, now, as we gather around your word. Thank you for a wonderful time to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You are such a wonderful uh, God, our Savior. Oh, how I love Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the time to do that today. And now speak to us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit as we study your word together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So before I really begin focusing on this, this commandment today, I want to go back and, and kind of revisit a statement that I mentioned last week in my sermon. It was made by a pastor, uh, an, another pastor. I quoted this other pastor, and a bunch of you went, and I think some folks, and that's okay, so I think, I think some folks um, actually Googled it during the service because I had folks asking me after the service, is this who said that? Is this who said that? And then people asked me throughout the week about it. But there's a pastor of a large mega church in the United States of America. It's not Joel Osteen, but there's another pastor of a large church that um, made a statement that uh, has really been, um, uh, been, he's been taking a task about this statement by a whole lot of people. And the statement was this, thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. And uh, that was in the context of a sermon that he preached, context of a of an article that he wrote, and uh, but said just said those words, "Thou church, you need to understand, thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments." So why is that a wrong statement? And it is a wrong statement. That is not a correct statement. That's not a good statement. That's not a biblical statement to say that. So why is that a wrong statement? Why should we still obey? The Ten Commandments. Why are we going to take several weeks and focus on this over the course of these summer months? Why should we do that? Well, first of all, let's talk about the argument against obeying the Ten Commandments. Why, why would he say that? Why would people say that you don't have to obey the Old Testament law anymore? Well, the argument against obedience to the Old Testament law is that we are no longer under the weight and the bondage of the law because... We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, how many of you believe that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? That is absolutely the truth. That is an absolutely true biblical statement, that that is how we are saved. We don't depend on our good works. We do not depend on our attempts at keeping the commandments the Ten Commandments or the 613 that are in the Old Testament, we do not depend on our attempts at keeping those commandments for our salvation. If that's what you're depending upon, I'm going to try to be a really good person, and I'm going to try real hard to keep those commandments. Well, guess what? That's just going to take you straight to hell if that's what you're depending on for your salvation. And so depending on our good works and those valiant attempts at obedience is a one-way ticket straight to hell. So that's the argument against obedience to the, the Old Testament law and the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. That's why somebody might would say something like that. But I want to tell you this. Keeping the Ten Commandments is still expected of every Christ follower. Keeping those commandments is expected. Now look, I want to be clear about this. This does not elevate the law above the grace of God. I'm not saying you keep these commandments for your salvation. What I am saying is that you keep these commandments because you are saved. Amen? So we need to understand that. Jesus never said 
that he came to abolish and to do away with the law. He said, listen to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. I'm going to read from the message translation. That's not, the message is not the, the greatest uh, uh, translation of the Greek and Hebrew. You know that it's more of a, of a, of a paraphrase. But it, I, I really like the way this it puts these verses, and I think it helps us to understand these verses. The, the message, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Don't suppose, Jesus said, don't suppose for a minute that I have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. Jesus said, I'm not here to demolish it, but to complete it. I'm going to put it all together. I'll put it all together in a vast panorama. God's, lo God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after the stars burn out and the earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. So think about that. He's, he also said that all of the commandments, all of the commandments of the law and all of the teachings of the prophets depend on the great commandment of Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. You know, we, we talk about the great commission a lot. Uh, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. We talk about the great commission, but there's also the great commandment. And what is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus said that. And then he said at the end of that, he said, on these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. He didn't say, because of these, you chunk the law and the prophets. He said, on these two commandments depend on all the law and the prophets. So if, you're, if we are keeping the great commandment, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbors ourselves, then the, the attitude and the position of our heart is to be, will be that of obedience. So look, we're not, we're not going back to some kind of legalistic, pharisaical, rule-keeping kind of religious expression. Now, that's not at all what we're doing. That's not at all why we're saying keep the Ten Commandments. That's not at all why I'm preaching a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. That's not what we're doing. But what we are clearly going to say is that because we are saved by grace alone, then we have the joy and the privilege of living in obedience to the commandments that God has given us. For the rest of our lives, one of the reasons why I wanted you to give testimony of when you gave your life to Jesus, when you came through the baptismal waters, whether it was here or whether it was at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Cleveland or whether it was in some creek somewhere. How many of you are baptized in a creek? You got any creek baptisms in here or a pond or something like that? We got a few folks here. So whenever that was, the point of that was obedience. And so the rest of your life then, you have the joy. and the, It's not this this drudgery and this burden, oh, I've got to obey God now. It's because Jesus has saved me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Jesus. I, I'm going to obey you for the rest of my life because of what you've done for me. And, I, and, and so that's why we, we live in obedience to the commands of the Lord that he's given to us through the Ten Commandments and the Word of God it's because we're saved, not to be saved, but because we are saved. I love what one commentator said about this. He said, since we know that the perfect keeping of the law is not the basis for our salvation, 
We can live boldly in our obedience. Listen, knowing that when we stumble over the law or because of the law or in keeping the law, our salvation is, in, is still intact because of grace. It's because of the grace of God. Because you're going to break a commandment this week sometime. And you're not going to lose your salvation when that happens. Because of the grace of God. So we obey his commandments because we love him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. We obey because we are so thankful for what he has done to save us when we deserved death and hell. When we realize that we are one of the whosoever's from John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, and you realize that you're one of the whosoever's, then you're going to want to live in joyful, grateful, humble obedience to him for the rest of your life. So there's one more thing about keeping the Ten Commandments before we get to this one today. The Ten Commandments serve as spiritual checkpoints to help us evaluate our walk with the Lord and maybe even determine if we truly are saved. Now, wait a minute, John. I thought you said that keeping the commandments is not how we're saved. That's not, again, that's not what I'm saying here. But stay with me here. What... These commandments help us to start evaluating our walk with the Lord. Because we find ourselves going, why, why do I keep lying? Don't bear false witness. We'll get to that one soon. But why do I keep lying? Thou shalt not steal. Why, why do I keep stealing? Thou shalt not murder. Well, I hadn't murdered anybody, but why do I keep hating folks? Why, why do I? And so... These commandments help us to start evaluating, where am I in my walk with the Lord? 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says this, It is only when we obey God's laws that we can be sure, be quite sure that we really know Him. This is the Phillips translation. It is only when we obey God's laws that we can be quite sure that we really know Him. The man who claims to know God but does not obey his laws is not only a liar but lives in self-delusion. In practice, the more a man learns to obey God's laws, the more truly and fully does he express his love for him. Obedience is the test of whether we really live in God or not. The life of a man who professes to be living in God must bear the stamp of Christ. So that's why we obey these commandments. It's because it shows that we truly know the Lord. It shows that we truly love God. It shows that we have an understanding that he has saved us and we want to live our lives in obedience to him. That's why I disagree with the statement that says, Thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. Yes, thou shalt. <laughs> For all of us, we must live in obedience to the Lord. So let's talk about this second commandment about idols. The application for this uh, message today is that there is no substitute for the one true living God. There's no substitute. There's no substitute for the one true living God. Now, at face value, when you look at this, when you look at this commandment, and you glance at it again there in Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt, uh, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it, at face value, it, you, you almost go, isn't that basically the same thing as commandment number one that we talked about last week? You shall have no other gods before me. 
Is that, isn't it really the, isn't that kind of the same thing? It does have some similarities, but here's the difference. Here's the difference about these two commandments. The first commandment, you see it there in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, we talked about that last week. If you were here last week, we talked about our God. <laughs> I tried to talk about our God in one 30-minute sermon. How ludicrous is it that you would think that you'd even begin, but I tried. But to think about our God, that he is God. He's the one true living God. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present. He is all-knowing. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the God of all the universe. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every sparrow that falls. He calls out every star at night by name. This God, why in the world would we put some other God before him? And so that's what the, so the first commandment makes it clear who we are to worship. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm the only God to worship. Makes it, that, that commandment makes it clear that we worship the one true living God. When we sang this morning, oh, how I love Jesus, there's only one Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. When we say, blessed be the name of the Lord, there's only one name, the name that is above every name. There's only one, one true living God. So that first commandment tells us, makes it clear who we are to worship. And the second commandment, verses 4 through 6, makes it clear and tells us how we worship. So how do we worship? We worship without anything that we substitute for the one true living God. We, we worship without putting anything in front of God. We worship, we worship Him. And we worship him without anything that we substitute for the one true living God. Listen, th this commandment is the most repeated commandment in the Bible. God is serious about idolatry. Pardon my grammar. God don't play when it comes to idolatry. He is serious. He's serious about sin. But when you look at the word of God... You see, he is especially, if he can be, especially serious about one over the other. And I know that he's really not, but God is serious about idolatry. He hates it. And yet it was an ongoing problem for his people all throughout the Old Testament, and it's an ongoing problem for his people today. But it's also the commandment that we think is the most irrelevant to us today. We look through these commandments, we look through the Ten Commandments, and we see the stealing thing, and we go, okay, I got that one. I don't need to be taking things that don't belong to me. We see the committing adultery thing, okay, I got that one. I don't need to cheat on my spouse, I got that one. Okay, we, we, and we see, and so and we, those seem to be relevant to us because we can, they're pretty, they're pretty clear. And then we see this one, though, and we, we go, well, that, you know, I mean, that's not really relevant for my life, right? And that is because our view of idolatry is so narrow. Our view of idolatry is so narrow, and that we really don't think that we'd ever be guilty of this sin. Surely none of us today, I hope you don't, none of us today have a, a little statue on our mantle or a, a little carved um, little idol sitting on our nightstand that right before we get in the bed, we bow down to it before we get in the bed and say something to it or something like that. I, I, I wouldn't think, I, I, I would be pretty 
confident say it. I don't think there's anybody here that's got a little statue that you bow down to at your house every day. If you're a Chinese food eater, if you like Chinese food, you go to the Chinese restaurant, and you go to pay your bill, you walk up to the, the cash register, you look over behind the cash register, there's a little, little statue of Buddha sitting there. In the back of your mind, you think, these people, are they, they really think that little old statue over there? And so we, we just, we, we don't think that this is really, we just, that's silly. That's just silly to have that little thing sitting there. They think that little statue is going to help them in their business. They think that little statue is going to help them in their family and their marriage and things like that. And so we don't really think that this is all that relevant to us. But we are woefully wrong. If we think that this is the commandment that we can just sort of shrug off because it doesn't apply to us. We better be aware, beware of that temptation that the enemy would love to, to lead us into. To, this one really doesn't apply. I don't have to worry about this one. Any and all of us can be and have been guilty of idolatry at some point in our lives. Idolatry is when we allow anything or anyone to rise to the level of allegiance that should be reserved for God alone. When we let anything or anyone rise to the level of allegiance that is reserved for God alone. One of my favorite definitions or descriptions of, a t of, of worship, and you may hear me from time to time say it when I'm praying on Sunday mornings. God, help us to give, us, help us to give you our mind's attention and our heart's affection. That's just a real good, succinct way to say that's what worship is all about. You give God and God alone your mind's attention. You give God and God alone your heart's affection. But when we give our mind's attention and our heart's affection to anything or anyone other than the one true living God, we have committed idolatry. As Tony Evans states, idolatry is intimacy with an image. It's not necessarily bowing down to a carved statue stuck on a pole. No, an idol is anything that usurps God's rightful rule in your life. So you see, that can, that can be a whole lot of things, y'all. I'm not going to start naming them and listing them because I could go on all day. You know the things that can rise to that level of obedience and allegiance in our lives. So there are three points for us to ponder on, on this subject of idolatry. Number one, let's talk about the futility of idols. The futility of idols. The Hebrew word there that talks about a carved image, that verse there that says you shall not make for yourself a carved image, that Hebrew word is, is a word for a statue. It is for some kind of little carved image, some kind of little statue. And it's astounding that God gave this commandment that right after he gave this commandment, his people at the foot of Mount Sinai broke this commandment. Before Moses could even get down the mountain, they'd already broken it. They'd already done this. Why? Because they were impatient. They were impatient. Hold on to your, uh, flip over to, uh, to uh, chapter 32 there, Exodus chapter 32. And take a look at this. I'm not going to read this whole passage just for the sake of time, but this is the golden calf moment. And so you see what it says there in verse 32, uh, chapter 32, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered uh, themselves together to Aaron and said to her, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what's become of him. 
They were impatient. You see how quickly they turned, even just turned against Moses. Like they said, this guy who, he, all he did was bring us out of Egypt. <laughs> they, they grew impatient. Come make us gods. We don't even know what happened to him. That happens to us too. We get impatient. God doesn't act the way we think he's supposed to act. He doesn't answer our prayers in the time that he thinks we ought to answer our prayers. We start turning to other places and other people and other things to try to find some kind of direction for us to go in. Impatience. They acted immorally. They acted impatiently and they acted immorally. Look at verse 25, still in chapter 32. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, the NIV says they were running wild. They were running wild. It says they were out of control. A picture of immorality. A sign of immoral behavior, which usually accompanies idolatry. You put something else in your life, and you're going to find your, instead of God, you start worshiping something or someone other than God, you're going to find yourself in an immoral situation in your life. It can be sexual immorality. It can be immorality in your finances. It can be immorality in your, uh, in your marriage, in your relationship with your families, with your friends, whatever. You're going to find immorality creeping into your life when you put something else other than God in the rightful place on the throne of your heart. So they were impatient. They acted immorally. And then they prayed, they paid the price for their sin immediately. Immediately. Look at verse 28. And the sons of, and the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 of the men fell. 3,000 people died. And then in verse 35 it says they were struck with a plague. So a whole bunch more people died. Immediately paid the price because of the futility of idolatry. The futility of idol worship. The psalmist said in Psalm 115, verses 4 through 7, he says there, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, nor do they make a sound in their throat. And it's, you see there, this just so shows how futile it is to have some kind of idol. With eyes that can't see, ears that can't hear, nose that can't smell, feet that can't walk, hands that can't, it's just futile. To worship anything other than the one true living God is to futilely worship something that gives the impression that it has life. Now, come on, it's got eyes, it's got ears, it's got a nose, it's got hands, it's got feet. Sure looks like it's got some life, but it doesn't. And the result is that there will be some serious fallout to our sin when we give in to idol worship, which is the second point, the fallout of disobedience. The fallout of disobedience. God issues a serious life-altering threat with this commandment. Back to chapter 20. You look at what he says there. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the, th on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. There's a serious threat that goes along with this commandment for idol worship. This shows you how much God hates it. If you choose to worship an idol, if you choose to put something in place of God in your life, your great-grandchildren will pay the price. You good with that? 
doesn't mean that they have no hope whatsoever. Because of the grace of God, we know that it doesn't mean that they just are they're hopeless from here on out. But it is abundantly clear that idolatry has huge consequences. It's one of the reasons that God warned his people about it so many times throughout the Old Testament. I was talking with Sonny this morning about we're in this group called the Big Dogs. There's a group of about 50 of us. I've told you about it. A group of about 50 men. We're reading through the Bible together. Every day we've got passages that we're reading through. Right now we're in the Old Testament. We're reading through uh, 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, a lot of different uh, passages there. But I have been struck as I've just been spending all of this time in the Old Testament. How many times? Over and over and over. And the Bible I'm using, I'm making notes in the margin. I want to leave my Bibles to my kids where they can see some of the stuff that they're dead he had to say about the word of God and so over and over I'm making mar- uh, notes in the margins of my Bible and I can't tell you how many times I have written the words these three words in the margin of my Bible as I read through the Old Testament God hates idolatry underline that verse all right go over here God hates idolatry underline that verse go over a few more pages and a few more chapters God hates idolatry because over and over and over God warns his people The effects and consequence of idolatry and sin and immoral behavior will not end with itself. But it spreads out and it invades the lives of so many others. Listen, potentially for a hundred years or more. The choices that you and I make can, can affect our kids and our grandkids for a hundred years. We, we must not think that we can just do whatever we want and it won't affect anyone else. That simply is not so. God will not be mocked. He's a jealous God, meaning that he has a burning passion for undivided attention, and rightfully so. Why? Well, look back a couple of verses above there. Look at what it says. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's why he's jealous, because he says, I'm God, you're not. He's a jealous God, and when you and I give our attention to anyone or anything else, he responds strongly and allows the consequences of our sin to ripple out and to touch many, many people, and tragically, those who are closest to us are impacted the most severely. So why does this happen? We've already seen it's because of the righteous jealousy of God. But there's another reason. Back to Psalm 115. Look at verse 8 in Psalm 115. After telling about how futile these idols are, look at what the psalmist says there in verse 8. Those who make them, those who make these idols become like them, so do all who trust in them. So think about this. If you and I choose to put something else in the place of God, if we choose to have an idol in our lives, we become like that idol. So we look at what it said there about the idols. It means that we will not speak the truth anymore. Well, how true that is. When people turn away from the Lord, they don't speak truth anymore. They don't want to hear the truth. They're not going to speak the truth. 
We will be blinded to the effects of our sins. We'll have eyes, but we will not see the effects of our sins, or we'll choose not to see the effects of our sins. We'll have ears, but we won't hear. We won't hear the truth of the Word of God, or the warnings that are spoken, or the counsel that is given. I can stand up here and preach till I'm blue in the face, and I will continue as long as God gives me breath. But if you're worshiping an idol, you'll just stick, you'll be like a little kid. Stick your fingers in and go, la, 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 la. I'm not going to listen. I'm not listening. I'm not listening to that. Because something else has got my attention in my life now. It means that we won't smell. We'll have noses, but we won't smell. We won't smell the stench of our sin. We'll have hands, but they won't feel. That means we won't reach out to those we love or those who love us. We won't care anymore. We'll have feet, but we won't walk. That means we won't walk in the direction of righteousness. We won't walk in the direction of integrity. We won't walk in the direction of holiness. We'll have mouths, but we won't speak. In other words, we won't utter the sounds of worship and praise to God. We won't speak the truth of the gospel. To sum it up, we will be deadened and desensitized to the ugliness and the depravity of our sin and the wrong direction of our lives, and Satan loves that. Do you see the fallout of our disobedience? But finally, there's the fantastic promise of obedience. Let's end on some good news. This has been pretty heavy, but let's end on some good news. Back to Exodus chapter 20. Here's a word that is a great, great word in the Bible. At the beginning of verse 6, look at the first word. In the ESV, the first word is the word, but. That means we're about to change channels. We're about to flip the page. We're about to say something else. Such a great word, because here's the good news. This commandment gave a a tremendous warning about disobeying and giving in to idolatry. But it ends with this amazing, awesome promise. Because if I will place my faith in God and God alone and keep my worship dedicated to Him and Him alone, He promises to show His steadfast love to thousands. Most translations say, in fact, there's a footnote at the bottom of the ESV, says thousands, a thousand generations. A thousand generations. That means that if you and I take this commandment seriously and keep our minds' attention and our hearts' affection focused on God and God alone, His special steadfast love will be poured out upon our descendants hundreds of years after I'm gone. You want to leave a legacy? I know you're trying to hang on to a little bit of money. My mama says she's spending all of our inheritance. Ain't nothing going to be left. But maybe you're trying to keep a little bit of money to give to your kids. That's wonderful. That's nice. That's wonderful. That's great. Keep trying to do that. But how much better will it be if your descendants know that you loved God and you obeyed him? And the steadfast love of God will be poured out on a thousand generations. Is, John, is that literally true? It's in the Bible. It's hard to believe because that number is just so staggering. It's so massive. A thousand generations. That sounds like hyperbole. That sounds like an exaggeration that's not going to be taken seriously. But if God said a thousand generations, that's exactly what he meant. And I'm going to believe him. And I'm going to stand on that truth because how awesome is that promise? So you got these warnings. You turn away and you give in to idolatry. 
There's the potential that your kids and grandkids for 100 years are going to be affected by the sin that you've committed, that I've committed. But if today we say, you know what, I'm going to, by the grace of God and the power of God, I'm going to live my life in obedience to the Lord to the very best of my ability for His glory. And I'm not going to do it right, but I'm going to do the very best I can. And man, I'm going to live for Him, not to be saved, but because I am saved. And when I do stumble and fall, I'm going to be quick to confess my sin and repent and get back in right fellowship with the Lord. And God is going to bless that and pour out His steadfast love on a thousand generations. That's a wonderful promise. So let me give you these three Reminders as we finish this up. Number one, anything can become an idol if we cling to it too tightly. Just because we have something today don't mean, doesn't mean that we're going to have it tomorrow. <laughs> you looked at your, your 401k and you understand what that's all about these days. Don't, just because you got it today doesn't mean you're going to have it tomorrow. God is the only thing. He is the only thing. I don't like, like saying thing, but just by, to stay with this. He's the only thing that is eternally secure and permanent. Secondly, our kids are watching and learning and soaking up the things that they observe in our lives. Both our obedience and our disobedience. Both our commitment to the Lord and His church and our lack of commitment to the Lord and His church. Our passionate love for God or our anemic love for God. Our kids are watching and learning and soaking that up right now. And then finally, how we choose to live our lives will impact generations to come. So my friends, choose wisely and biblically. And choose today. Today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, will you help us today, Lord, to be obedient right now? Lord, whatever it is that you have us to do, whatever decision we need to make, whatever commitment needs to be made in our lives, Lord, either for the first time to come to faith in Christ or, God, to return to you in repentance, Lord, and renew our relationship with you. God, help us today to do what you're calling us to do and to be obedient right now today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.